Hi there, my name is Mubashra and this is Color Me PR Podcast. Join me for conversations with diverse women in communications who break the ceiling with what they can do. This podcast is all about being inspired and inspiring others. Welcome to our safe space. Hi, Dio. How are you doing? I'm doing well, actually, Mubashra. And I'm really excited to be speaking with you and to your audience about my experiences. I, I feel like I'm at an interesting age. I feel like I'm still in my 20s and <laughs> I have. But when I look at the calendar and the clock and realize I'm not quite there and maybe I do have something to share. So it's exciting to be able to share with your audience. Dio Kvense is the founder and managing director of Dio Media and Communications and an industry professional with over 20 years of leadership experience in communications, broadcasting, and public affairs. At Ryerson University, she was the director of communications for the Office of the Vice President, Equity and Community Inclusion. She has also managed media and communications for the Toronto Organizing Committee for the 2015 Pan-American and Parapan-American Games. A longtime advocate for education and inclusion, Dio has lent her skills to the Ontario Council of Agencies serving immigrants through the development of media literacy workshops and the Toronto District School Board through communications and outreach support for the Afrocentric Alternative School. Dio is currently serving as a board director with Women's Habitat of Etobicoke. Dio, I am so excited to have this conversation with you. Thank you so much for joining me for Color Me PR podcast today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to our chat. I'm always interested in learning how my guests got into communications. And because it's one of those fields where, you know, we come in with so many different transferable skills, you know, I definitely stumbled into it myself. I'd love to start by asking how you came to find yourself in media and communications. What inspired you to choose this as a career? Well, I want to say that I, I, I always sensed that I would be doing something in the industry from a pretty young age. I was always interested in the announcements, for example, and reading the announcements in high school. I went to high school in Mississauga. And I really enjoyed having that experience and hearing my voice. And not necessarily just to hear my voice, but more to share information with people. That was always of interest to me. Eventually, when I had to uh, finish my degree, I always thought I would get into journalism. And I did get into Ryerson to do journalism. But mm -hmm. I felt like I to do something different. And I went to the University of the West Indies in Barbados just to get some world experience and to get closer to my roots because both of my parents are from Barbados and my grandparents and great grandparents as far back as I can that I know. So I really wanted to get an experience of living there, which I did do. And when I returned from that, I decided I still wanted to go into media. And so I went into Humber College and I did a radio broadcasting certificate. But what's interesting with that is I remember when I had to do the application, I was between minds. I literally was erasing public relations as autumn when number one and radio was two and then switching them because you had to pick which one you wanted more. And mm -hmm. I honestly decide and radio broadcasting ended up be the first one. And I did that for a while. And that was a big chunk of my career. And then I've kind of transitioned into communications, but Ask many people who have worked in journalism, you're always going to be a journalist at heart. Absolutely. And how have you liked working in communications? When we were in the newsroom, you would often hear communicators being called flats. 
I'm not sure if you know the term, but you will get to know the term once you start to get more into your career. And communications people weren't really people that I found journalists really respected. And so there was a, a serious divide between the media people and the communications people. And it, was, it felt like you couldn't really cross that wall because you were either on one side or the other. And so going into communications, I felt a little bit of trepidation because I really was on the side of journalism. But over time, I started to really see that, and as technology has changed and as times have changed, that you can ride both sides of the fence a little bit. Not, not all the time, not for everything, but that, that wall that was there when I was starting my career seems to have broken down. And what I have taught students at Centennial, because I did a couple courses that, that I taught at Centennial, is that you really need, you need both. Journalists need communications people to help get stories for, for air and for publications. And communicators need journalists to get those stories told. So I think it's beneficial to even have experience in both sides and have respect for both sides because there's definitely a role for both sides that I think, I think is important. Absolutely. It's definitely really interesting. And I think PR has had a pretty poor reputation itself for a long time. I think people are only now just starting to realize how much work goes into PR and that for the most part, our intentions are pretty good. For the most part. And I think it's important too, what, what a benefit of having a bit of a journalism career helps, or if you choose to work in communications, is to understand what journalists are looking for when they're looking to tell stories and to when you said for the most part, journalists have a good eye on when something is all promo and no story versus when something is a good quality story that's worth telling. One thing would be definitely for, for communicators to really get to understand what makes a good story because ultimately that's what you really want to have. And for me as well, when I was learning how to do media relations, it was interesting for me because whenever I reach out to someone, even if it's by email, I try my best to make it as personal and relatable as possible. So when sending out media pitches, I like to make sure I, you know, I'm, I'm really understanding the journalist's beat and what their focus is. And it's tough when sometimes you have to send out like a hundred something media pitches and you can't personalize every single one of them. So I definitely struggle with that where you know, I would like to make that actual connection for each one if possible. Yeah, no, and it's good that you have that instinct to be as personable as you can because people respond well to that. I know even when we, you reached out to me, I was like, this young woman has a really nice touch. That does make a difference. So much has gone to tech and texting and shorthand yeah. talk. That business of really connecting with people in a real genuine way is starting to wane a little bit. And so just... Going off of that as well, how diverse do you think the field of media and communications was when you first began? I came up during a time when City TV was a very exciting television station. And the reason it was exciting was because it was really different for its time, where they seemed to really take chances with diverse people. You was the, one of the few places where you saw uh, people of a variety of capabilities, a variety of ethnicities, et cetera, that were on the air. And that was unique in, and ahead of its time in a way that we really noticed as young people growing up, because for the most part, everywhere else, 
if you did listen to radio or watch television or read the paper or new journalists, everyone else was more or less a white Canadian. Very rarely did you see people of color who were in any positions in front or behind camera or, you know, on a byline or as editors. It was very rare. So as a first generation Canadian of immigrant parents, I'm part of a cohort of many people that came up during a time when we were the first kids to really go through a system and graduate with fellow Canadians who in class pictures that would have not looked like any classroom 20 years before that. And so we were in many ways pioneering a new way of being in the workplace and demanding different kinds of stories and expecting to see ourselves in ways that were not necessarily a standard before. By the time I got a chance to get my experience in media, one of my first places of work was the Canadian press. And there certainly weren't people of color in that newsroom. In fact, the way I got into that newsroom was because I was doing a class assignment on diversity in newsrooms and the lack thereof. And I was interviewing people there to ask them what their position was on that. Because you could just look in their newsroom and see that that was the case. That's very um, brave. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's a way to get the issue out there and also get noticed a little bit. But after I did that, and after my, I finished my assignment and I did well on it, I went back and I said, my, I did well on my assignment. Thanks for the interviews. And if you have any opportunities, please consider me. Mm-hmm. And I got an opportunity a few weeks later to be a, like an audio editor. But for sure, if I was in there and trying to pitch And looking around, I didn't see any people that were of different ethnicities other than white at that time. So we're talking late 1990s in any real role at all. And I, as I do a visual kind of check in my head, looking back, that was not a priority at that time. Um, I don't know what it looks like now. I don't know what it is now. And I know that since then, there were some hires that were made after me in more senior roles. Again, that's a that's a quite a, a ways of, of time ago. That was so that was my first experience. A year, a few years later, when I was working for CBC, I got into that place on what was called a New Voices program. And the New Voices program was an acknowledgement at the time that there weren't a lot of people um, of color on the air again. So this would be now late 1990s, early 2000s, that they we're looking to expand and enhance and improve the voices that were on the air at that time. Um, I think they were looking for a bit of a youth perspective as well as a different perspective on other than white Canadian. The kinds of standards that you might see now or the kind of newsroom that you see now in 2020, 20 years ago, was very different, but what programs like the New Voices program would have indicated was that there was an awareness, at least on a corporate level, that some change needed to start happening. Yeah, no, that's really insightful. And again, I think media and, you know, PR go so hand in hand that it's really important to understand how things have changed on both sides over the years. How do you think that your work has been impacted by you know, the recent events in Canada and the U.S. with the Black Lives Matter movement and, you know, what I think at least has been an increased awareness of systemic racism and, you know, the issues that people of color face. You know, how have you as a media and communications professional been impacted by those conversations or that awareness? 
as a person outside of being a professional, it's been an awakening for a lot of things, a lot of reasons, regardless of the comfort with which we have grown up in Canada, some of us, um, we, there's a reawareness of the effects of systemic racism that we all have had to think about and we, that we've all talked about in private conversations and public conversations, which is helpful because I think in Canada, we tend to forget sometimes that these issues affect us. They may not look the same, but they still affect us in different ways through jobs that we don't get or microaggressions that we experience in the workplace that we mm -hmm. do or do talk about, but we have figured out a way to power through because this is how we roll. Or as people of a certain age, we have gotten accustomed to things that we probably shouldn't have gotten accustomed to. So the events of the summer, and if we're talking specifically about the murder of George Floyd and everything that came before and after it, have definitely been a galvanizing point for many of us and what I think it's happened and what we've seen is that organizations are starting to really come together to start to create in many different ways, either or change, community as well, opportunities. And it's been a challenge too for communicators because I participated shortly after the George Floyd murder in a discussion with a group of black communicators who were struggling with the reality that we are dealing with our own pain around this. And yet many of us have to work out statements for organizations about their yeah. status, what their position was on systemic racism. And in some cases, the people that I was talking to in creating these statements knew full well that these companies weren't ready or the things they were saying may or may not have been true or they had to toe the line even and so far as they had concerns about the way in which the organizations were handling things. And it was very difficult personally and professionally for a lot of people of color, especially this summer, dealing with Absolutely. that. There were some extremely difficult conversations that were happening with bosses, with colleagues, but they were necessary, uncomfortable conversations that need to happen mm -hmm. to start to awareness. There were discussions about how much or how little a company should be agreeing or disagreeing or an organization should be agreeing or disagreeing with what's going on in the world or putting positions out there or not putting positions out there. And it's often difficult as a Black professional in this communications and media game to try to be objective, if you will, in quotes, while still being professional, while still feeling this personally. So Absolutely. it has been a struggle. Um, for many of us to handle these difficult issues. But it's also, I think, been a, a good career growth opportunity for all of us to really start putting our footing down about what we believe, what we don't believe, speaking up, speaking out. And, and in many cases, I've also heard that people have gained uh, the respect of their colleagues and more of an understanding from their colleagues because they have now been an often forced in to, to speak up and speak out. It has helped to at least start to bridge some gaps, but it has been hard. And I like what you said about them being uncomfortable, but necessary conversations. And I completely, you know, understand, especially for those people of color that have sort of had to become spokespeople for their race or for people of color in general. It's definitely been 
challenging and how much emotional energy and mental energy it takes to have these conversations. Exactly. And especially in a professional setting. What I find fascinating, I've had lots of conversations with people who are sort of this millennial generation Z team, the ease with which they deal with things. It's, it's very different than what I, I know or what I've experienced. The way in which they don't stand for certain things, things that we had to swallow, things that we had to shoulder, they just won't. And I think that is inspiring in a different way. For sure. How important do you think it is then for communications professionals to, you know, have a, a real understanding of equity and inclusion work and how that feeds into communications and the work that we do, despite the level of organization that they're in. I personally think that there's been an increased awareness now where organizations are encouraging staff to be more aware and putting time and effort into facilitating the resources that they need for that. But, you know, how essential do you think it is for communications professionals to have an understanding of equity and inclusion? Well, I think it's absolutely essential. I can't see how it wouldn't be essential, particularly after the year we've had. I think if there's anything that's come out is how critical it is to be mindful of equity and inclusion. Without those words at the time, that was very much what a lot of my career was based on from the very beginning. Um, It was an under, and I'm going way back to CBC in terms of that new voices program, for example. Mm -hmm. The idea there was an awareness that from a business standpoint, if people don't hear themselves, see themselves, read themselves reflected in whatever it is is being produced, they will just tune out. Um, They will choose to purchase something else. They will choose a different company. They will move on. And so it is very important that every communicator really think about not just themselves when they're communicating, but who else is receiving this information? Who else can benefit from this information? What are the voices that we're not hearing or that we're not seeing that need to be included um, as we consider whatever it is that we're working on? It feels trendy in a sense, but it's all of a sudden, in quotes, there's all of these organizations that are now adding diversity and inclusion managers and departments and all of that. It's because I think of a recognition, finally, that there needs to be some deep thinking about the systemic ways in which organizations communicate about the things that they do and how they operationalize the things that they do. And maybe some of the things that they're doing aren't in the best interest of the wider community and aren't considering some of the very people that need to be included. And the drawbacks of that are, like I said, You know, it could be a bottom line drawback or it could be a respect drawback. And ultimately, organizations need to come correct. And so I think it is very important that communicators consider it and not just consider it, but make it a baseline for everything that they're doing when they're creating a document, when they're creating a video, when they're doing anything, is to really think critically and think openly and have those difficult conversations about what is it that we're talking about? Who aren't we including? Why aren't we including them? What are the messages that we're saying or that we're, that we're doing or talking about um, when we put out a piece of work? Let's look at it from all angles. We need to do better 
And I think Canada is starting to make those changes and starting to get there, but it seems to be a slow build. I have a 20-year history of working in this country, and I have definitely seen changes, especially in the past two years. But that doesn't mean that there's still not quite a bit of work that has to be done to continue to better represent and better reflect the country that we're living in. Absolutely. And that I couldn't agree more. Comes from communicators. That awareness comes from the people like yourself and like myself and like those listening that are in a position to help craft what the message will be. Never question the power of the pen. That's the power that communicators have, and it's a serious power that needs to be thought out, thought through, honest, open, and willing to take in the breadth of what it is you're representing. It's a heavy um, burden, but it's an important one that communicators have. Absolutely. I think, especially for people outside of PR and communications, they don't necessarily realize, like you said, how much power we hold as communicators being that kind of middle, that middle person between organizations and the message that they're trying to convey. We do, you know, hold the power to guide them and to show them where there's an opportunity to be more inclusive. And I know you've talked a little bit about the fact that you're a junior communicator, but I wouldn't discredit the value of people who are junior. I'm in a, in a place now where I definitely seek the advice of people who are in their 20s because there are things that they will know that I don't know. There are ways in which they like to be communicated to that is different than the way I might have grown up or that my parents would have grown up in. And it's important that we be reflective of those differences. Also, as we consider inclusion, we should think about the fact that people are coming at this from a lot of different angles. Mm-hmm. and so really encourage um, younger people not to think that because they're younger that their view is not important. I know that my view was important as a younger person, so much so that I actually wrote an editorial, the Toronto Star, when I was 17 and it was published. Wow. Um, It was about the need for Black radio because there wasn't anything in Toronto at that. But the point of that story is less about the fact that I wrote it, but more about the fact that at a young age, I realized that my voice could be heard and could be published and that it was important and that I had something to say. And I think when you have that happen at that young age, you just sort of, at least it did for me, feels emboldened to be able to use that voice in other places. And I just really, and even, and I remember I said I happened to be an extrovert, so that worked for me, but even an introvert or people who might not want to take that style, just to really encourage younger people to really speak up in whatever way they want, whether it's writing or whatever, but your voice is so important in terms of, in in the realm of communications. There's an organization that doesn't think about the voice of the young people in their organization, and they're really missing out on an important perspective. Amazing, and I was gonna ask you if, if you could share one key message or action item for our listeners today, what would it be? And I feel like you've shared so many along the way, but I especially love what you just shared right now for young communicators to really consider what they have to offer because I completely agree. I have conversations with junior communicators all the time about you know them being concerned that they don't have a valuable opinion to offer or especially for young people of color in communications who think that they can't talk about their experiences. 
but it's all very valid. So, you know, raising your voice to say what you've been through and how offering your advice based on your lived experience is so important. I think 20 years ago, 10, 15 years ago, I don't think anyone would have cared about my opinion or my lived experience. This wasn't something that corporately people were talking about. Mm -hmm. This wasn't something that was common. The idea was, is that when you got a job, you were just supposed to be grateful for the job, work the job, go home and take your paycheck. Talking about lived experience, no one was really about that life. But now I feel like there is more tolerance for honest conversations. Again, it came at a price of many lost lives, George Floyd and others, and before and there will be after, unfortunately, sadly, and tragically. What I think it has done, though, is, again, open the eyes of people in corporate to have a bit more openness for listening to people's lived experiences in ways that I didn't experience working here years ago. Mm Mm-hmm. No, thank you so much for sharing your experience. I think, especially for me, it's been so valuable to hear what the industry was like when you first started, what the media world was like, and just to gain your insight. So thank you so much for joining me for Color Me PR podcast today uh, and sharing your experience and insights on the industry and on equity and inclusion in both media and communications. So is there anywhere that listeners can follow you online? Sure. And thank you so much, Mubashtra, for inviting me. This is really exciting. And I'm really pleased that I'm able to share this, actually, as I'm celebrating 21 years in business uh, this year. I'm really glad that this is one of the highlights of, of Congratulations. my Congratulations. Um, but in terms of following, sure, people can follow me on Instagram, uh, Dio Kofense on Instagram. Pretty many Dio Kofenses out there, so you should be able to find me. I'm also on Twitter as well. And LinkedIn, if they want to reach me there. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Color Me PR podcast. I hope this conversation helped enlighten and inspire you about the value of diversity and inclusion in PR. If you're interested in keeping the conversation going, please subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and follow at Color Me PR on Instagram for updates. Thank you for tuning in and I look forward to our next conversation.